we're doing it. It's another music podcast. But when we get to the stop sign, we're going to take a hard left because I want to take you in a direction that nobody's going in. I want to talk to tour managers. I want to talk to guitar techs, booking agents, photographers, producers. I want to talk to the roles in music that aren't glorified, but are 100% necessary. When I was 19 years old, I found myself in a position where my band was breaking up. But being so young, I wasn't done touring yet. I wasn't done pursuing a career in the music industry. So I started tour managing. I started handling things like bookkeeping, travel arrangements. I started advancing shows, and this became my new role in the music industry. I started going through my phone and making a list of people that I met while I was on tour. The more notes that I took, the more I realized that our roles in the music industry started the same exact way. We picked up instruments at a young age, we started our own bands, but as we got older, things didn't always pan out the way that we wanted. What happens when your record doesn't do as well as you thought? Or what happens when a member quits? What happens when you want to keep touring, but you're not making a whole lot of money, if any money at all? As negative as some of this might come across, these are real situations that all of us have encountered as touring musicians. In times of despair, we find ourselves picking up side hustles just to pay the bills so we can continue touring. Through a series of interviews, I want to talk to you about the options that you have to pursue a career in music, even though you're not playing on stage all of the time. There are so many ways to stay involved so that you can continue working in an industry that you really love. So buckle up, because we're heading into episode one. My first interview is with an old friend of mine by the name of AJ Larson. AJ's playing resume is super impressive, but like most of us, he took on a side trade to keep himself busy while he wasn't on tour. In this interview, we talk about AJ's first guitar, we discuss how and why he took such an interest in recording music, and we even dig into the fact that he learned to code websites because it was something that his band really needed at the time. So let's do this. Episode 1. My name's Gavin Dean Smith, and this is Behind the Stage. With, uh, with me is AJ Larson, who's actually a really, really old friend of mine. What's going on, AJ? How are you? What's going on, man? Long time no see and talk. I know. We text been, pretty uh, often. What'd you say? We text pretty often, though. Yeah, dumb stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So I wanted to ultimately reach out to you um, about this project that I'm starting and kind of this new venture. Um, ultimately, it's a podcast. You are my first interview, um, but Perfect, I might as I should be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, you were actually at the top of my list, so. Oh God. The the reason or the why as to I'm, as to why I'm doing this is, I I was kind of reflecting on my own story, and I did a I did a podcast with Chris Swinney, who you've met from the Ataris. He has his podcast uh-huh. at one time on tour, and I then started doing some research on other music. Um, podcasts and stuff like that but nobody really focuses on kind of the behind the scenes work of the music industry it's all about oh you're recording this record or I saw you guys play live or you know what do you guys have going on next but the gritty back end is never glorified and that's really in my opinion kind of what matters you know who produced that record who's behind the album art um you know, who played guitar on that track? Because I know you can't solo like that. Little things like that. <laughs> um, and I wanted to kind of get into that. Things like tour managing and guitar tech, because those those are jobs, of course, that I don't want to say that nobody gives a shit about, but they're very important roles to a touring band or to an organization that is a band, if you will. Yeah. And, 
you came to mind as I was going through my phone because I'm like, well, I know I've known AJ as a touring musician, but I also know that you're an active producer and audio engineer on the side and you do that the majority of your time. So that's kind of my why. Why am I doing this? I wanted to reach out and kind of get those stories because I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, once they pick up a guitar and once they start their band and then their band fails, they kind of leave it at that. And yeah not necessarily you know it doesn't have to come to an end you can find alternatives that keep you involved and and kind of network from there to find a solution and keep yourself in an industry that you at one time definitely enjoyed but from the stage yeah so yeah there's uh there's definitely many ways to be in music if that's what you want to do for sure so the how is i'm calling up all my friends i'm saying hey (laughs) <laughs> you know, could we do an interview, you know, if you have a half hour to an hour, just to talk about your experience from the beginning, and then how you pursued that alternative. So that's kind of where we're at. Awesome. So, so, so we're either going to give really good or really bad advice. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I was trying to think about this the other day, but you and I originally met or we crossed paths, I want to say it was around 2003 or 2004. Excuse the German Shepherd in the background. Um, (laughs) But you were playing in a band called Steps to Nowhere at the Underworld, which is in Scioto, Pennsylvania. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Warehouse venue that was like a beer distributor slash antique store (laughs) uh, that somebody rented out and put on shows. So I remember that was the first time we crossed paths. But when did you pick up a guitar? When did you start playing guitar? How old were you? Oh, God, I was like six years old. Okay. And uh, it's actually funny, like, thinking about it now because I wanted to play guitar, and I think I saw, like, a Green Day video or something. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, that's cool. Like, I want to do that. And um, I didn't know the difference between guitars and basses. So I was like, I want a small guitar, not the big one. And that's how I got into guitar. Um, a bunch of my uncles and stuff, they all played. So like I, you know, kind of seen it before. And then once I more so took an interest into it, then, you know, I paid more attention to them playing and they would all show me little things that like, you know, parties and things that, that they would have for like holidays and whatever, like growing up, like I always, if we were going, you know, down for 4th of July or something for like a barbecue, like the guitar came with. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was young when I started. What was your first guitar? Uh, it was a Fender Stratocaster, as I believe it is for, like, most people. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> yeah, we all end up with a Strat. Oh, and so, uh, so it's funny you my first guitar actually got stolen. Ooh, from where? Within, like, the first year. I don't know who wants to steal a fender stratocaster squire i believe it was like a bullet series too so it was real top notch um but yeah someone stole that one so there's no point, like cool there's no like cool story about it. <laughs> I, I was really young and for some reason someone broke into our house and stole it so what year is this this is probably like 1993 or four. Oh god yeah something like that i say like yeah based on based on how old <laughs> it sounds so long ago. <laughs> so after your guitar was stolen what um, what was your next model? Uh, just another Fender Stratocaster. Okay. That's fine. The reason um, why I ask is it's funny you said that about Green Day because I've always gone to you as that, I mean, 
there's two people in this world that I think are the best guitarists I know, and it's you and Chris Swinney. Um, oh, Jesus. In different in in different realms, but I mean, I remember sitting in on different sessions with you and recording, and you just hearing something, and then all of a sudden it was, you know making you know it was like face melting metal solos on top of <laughs> you know what i mean so just knowing that you're capable of that it's funny to say that or to to hear that you were um inspired by green day because when did your when did your musical taste shift because i know it definitely did from knowing you on a personal level yeah so yeah i think like green day was kind of the first band that i liked that i got into I think like Bush was like second or something. So I was like in that kind of world, probably just because it was like on MTV. And then um, I'd say probably within like a year or two of playing guitar. So maybe I was like eight or something. And uh, I remember being at the store and I saw a friggin' Metallica tape. And I saw that logo and I saw that friggin' electric chair. And I was like, all right, I was like, that looks pretty awesome. I was like, I feel like I need this tape and uh, got my mom to buy it for me and then went home. And if anyone's familiar with the album Ride the Lightning, I put in that first song and it started off with that uh, like classical guitar stuff. Mm -hmm. And I did not think that was cool at all. At least you're honest. And yeah. And uh, so it was a tape. So I stopped it. And like a couple of days later, um, my friends came over and they're like, oh my God, what's this tape? What's this tape? It looks so cool. I was like, yeah, it's not. Check this out. And I started to play the, the tape again. And for those young enough to never have dealt with tapes, like it just stops where you were. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden this friggin' fast ass distorted guitar came in and my brain exploded. And then Green Day and nothing else mattered. And uh, all I cared about was Metallica. From that day forward. Yeah, so that there's that uh, that musical shift that you're talking about. So how old were you when you started your first band? Um, God, what was I like? So I think I was in like ninth grade. So how old are you in like ninth grade? Like thirteen? About that. So probably yeah, like around there. With people from school, or how did that how did that come together? Yeah, so it was uh, friends from school, me and my buddy Greg. Uh, before there was like any music or anything, we told everyone we started the band um and no one believed us so at first we said that uh, we were a boy band called the hotness and then eventually <laughs> we actually wrote a song and uh that's when uh you, you met my buddy kevin my buddy kevin uh, who used to play guitar he was in there too so it was just me him and my buddy greg and uh i think we used like a casio keyboard and use like <laughs> some drum loop or something and some god awful recording thing that that's actually kind of the funny part is since my first band i've been recording not that i've done it well but uh so yeah we wrote this one song and recorded that and then i think between me and greg we sold a copy of that cd to like every single person that we could at school but uh but yeah i don't know we um yeah started young i guess it's a pretty good segue because i mean to be honest you and i could talk about your musical resume your your playing resume for hours because i've i've seen you play in numerous bands i've seen you tour with bands i've seen you go into studios with bands and kind of do 
um, you know, kind of hired gun positions, if you will. But yeah, that first so that first recording that you ended up selling to everybody at school, what kind of set it? What was that like? Uh, like a four track, an eight track? What were you using to record? <laughs> it was some program that I couldn't even possibly tell you the name of. That looking back now, I don't even understand why it was only eight tracks. So once you filled up eight tracks, you would like bounce that down, kind of like old school like machines used to be. Mm -hmm. So once you filled the eight tracks, that would get like bounced down to like a stereo thing. And then you'd have seven new tracks. Um, and it sounded pretty bad probably if I had to guess, cause we, I don't think we used any EQ or compression, nothing like that. It was just, but also it was too, just like I mean, whatever went in. <laughs> you, well, right. And you have to understand this is before things like GarageBand were just coming on a computer. So, oh yeah. And I remember one of the first recordings that I did, I was probably about 13, but it was with a cassette recorder from Radio Shack and it was probably 20 bucks, 25 bucks. And then you'd go, you know, you'd buy the cases of the tapes and it was just yeah. in a room with one take and you hope for the best. And you didn't understand what was going on. You kind of, you kind of heard it, but to, at the time it was the coolest thing in the world. Oh yeah. To like be able to play something and hear it back and then like play along with it like i spent most of my time with when i first ever started screwing around with recording probably just making metallica songs and being like how awesome is it that i can do these guitar harmonies by myself so let me ask you this at what point in in i'll call it your musical career we'll say that did you find that recording was an option that you really wanted to pursue outside of you know the small eight track recorder when when did you kind of graduate because i mean as long as i've known you i mean you and i have recorded songs together and i still have yeah. demos that you've done for me um and as long as i've known you even in your bedroom growing up you had a very professional setup i mean you had <laughs> you know you had the tv mounted on the wall that had everything and and i mean it was it was studio quality gear in your in your high school bedroom so at what point did you graduate to to a setup like that and, and really pursue audio engineering because you're not, I mean, for anybody who's willing to listen to this, like I said, it's episode one, you're not trained. You didn't go to college for audio engineering. It's all, you figured it out on your own. Yeah. So, um, for the most part, I guess you could say that. Um, I don't know. So I guess probably around, I'm going to say somewhere between like 16 and 18, um, I got into a band and our manager decided that he was going to build a studio. And when he said this, I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. I, re I remember this actually. It was along yeah. 11 above the car rental place. I remember this. Yep. And, uh, he actually ended up building an actual really nice studio. And, um, I don't know. I just remember going in there one day and we were recording demos and stuff. And, uh, I, again, just from kind of screwing around on my own, you know, understood how like recording worked. Um, and he was like, all right, tomorrow you're going to come help me do a radio commercial. And he handed me a friggin' three inch thick book for pro tools. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, cool. And obviously never looked at the book. And then came back the next day and helped him do it. And then like right after that, I bought Pro Tools 
for myself. And like back then you had to have like, you know, the, the hardware unit from them and everything. So I ended up with like an M box two, which I had for golly knows how long. And uh, I think once I was doing stuff at the studio, cause then I started recording all of our demos and everything. And at one point tried to like mix the stuff that we were recording and that didn't go well at all. But um, I'd say probably around then is when I started being more serious about it. But even then I was still just like, you know, I'd make my own little songs that I'd put on like friggin' MySpace or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then- uh, Pure volume, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, so what, whatever got off of websites would allow you to put all your crappy music up. But, um, but yeah, I did, I did that around then and so i guess that's when i got more serious about it if you want to call it that i mean like you said we spent a lot of time making you know some demos and songs but also a lot of really dumb stuff i've been there for that too yes (laughs) (laughs) but the but the interesting about your path to what you're doing now is that so and i know that you you know this as well but a lot of people that we know they pursued recording on their own as the cheaper alternative right? Because getting studio time or paying somebody else to do it was at the, I mean, I remember this, it was, it was miserable trying to find somebody locally and, and somebody yeah. that you thought would want to record your genre of music and then having to pay for it. It was, it was kind of a headache, but that wasn't necessarily the case for you because you kind of fell into almost a state of the art setup from the get-go based on the band that you played with. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. But I mean, at the same time too, it's, it is also what you just said, because I was, you know, writing my own stuff as well. And it, like you said, like, you don't have the money, you don't know a drummer or whatever. And through that, through the years is what, you know, got me to get better at recording and learn how to program drums and learn all the things that I did learn. And I mean, even going back to my first band, that same mentality is why I learned how to make logos and I learned how to build websites and all that stuff was because like, well, we need it. Right. So going to have to figure that out. And then, you know, years and years later was getting into photography and videography because it was like, well, we need that too. And I was like, all right, well, freaking get a camera and I'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. You're kind of forced into that role, you know, which is, which is a good point. And I mean, that's, I mean, I was kind of, I don't want to say I was forced into tour managing, but, the alternative was not touring as, yeah. as dumb as that sounds. So for me, it was, it was doing anything to stay involved, which, I mean, you kind of brought up a good point too. I went out and I bought a camera, I bought a video camera where we, I, I learned Photoshop for the sake of doing our own, our own press photos. So, I mean, that DIY mentality, it's, it's, it's one thing to look at it now, but we didn't also have a lot of that technology and I mean, we're not even that old, but at the time, like I remember, you know, a lot of the show flyers, we would, you know, with a, a you know, a glue stick and logos and we would photocopy them and throw them around the, the hallways in high school. I mean, it was, uh, we did what we could and it, it worked. I don't know how, but it did. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just interesting that, you know, kind of being in a band and having to learn all that stuff because it was going to be so DIY and it's not like every like you know like in my first band people wanted to go do things and hang out and go to parties and whatever and i was like 
long well, stay home. I'm going to help build websites. My bank's my band's awesome. So, you know, and I was that guy, whereas not everyone's always that guy. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, years and years later, it's like I've shot weddings before. I've done photo shoots for people. I've, you know, it's you can I've built websites for like a realty company, like kind of realize that you've got like this whole bag of skills that you got out of, you know, being in that dumb band that actually kind of translate into doing real things in life. I remember the first time I played in a band called Nothing Comes Free for a while. And then I met Rob and I started playing in, in, in Pull the Pin. And yeah. I, I remember when Rob, I had never heard of pre-production before. I'm 16 years old and he's 20. He's a freshman in college. And he had done a decent amount of touring already and playing and, and things like that. But we were going in to do pre-production for one of the records we were going to record. And I had never heard of that. Basically getting everything arranged, figuring it out. And Ted was there, who is also in your band, Don't Panic. And yeah. to me, I was never used to that outside influence or, or kind of having a camp built around it for guidance. It was always something that was so sacred. And it was like, the three of us are going to lock ourselves in this room. We're going to write the song. And that's what it is. Yeah. And getting that outside influence elevated not only the sound, but it brought an outside perspective to say, well, let's change this note or let's add this harmony. And it really helped. So at what point for you did a lot of that outsourcing become more beneficial than the playing? Because I mean, I know that you've, I mean, I remember you call, calling you, you know, years ago and you're up in Connecticut playing a mall for a pop artist. Or, you know what I mean, you're on tour with, you know, Madison Rising, which is a super patriotic band doing USO shows for soldiers. And those weren't necessarily your bands, but it was the task at hand. So yeah. at what point did not pursuing your own band become, you know, you know, at what point did, did that like wasn't like the main concern or the option anymore? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess to this day in my head, it'd still be awesome to have like my band and not that I'm saying like, you know, oh, I'm going to front it and this and that, but just really doing what it is like I want to do. But I don't know, just everyone always, uh, hey, man, you want to come do this? Hey, you want to play that? And I guess I just I get sucked into stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll go play that. And then I'm doing that project or band or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I guess if you really look back at it, it's kind of been a, a lot of hired gun stuff. And then as far as, you know, getting out of playing, I, I was touring in, in that band Madison Rising for like, what, five years? Long time, yeah. Just going nonstop, like all over the place constantly. I mean, in the beginning of that, when I joined up, we did some recording. And because they knew I did recording, I was like, oh, well, you'll mix it. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. That's when I knew, you know, I knew of two people that would mix the stuff. And uh, there's a guy, Scott, I don't remember his last name. And he's down in Maryland. And I was like, you know, he'll, he's priced reasonably. He'll do a really good job. I was like, or I know another guy, Dan Malsh, who, you know, runs Soundmine. And I was like, he'll be more expensive. He'll do an even better job. So naturally, everyone was like, cool. We'll definitely go with the cheaper guy. And uh, he did an awesome job. But someone heard it and they said something about like radio quality, whatever. So we ended up bringing the same stuff to Dan and he mixed it. And uh, while I was sitting with him being a nerd and asking probably way too many questions and being so goddamn annoying, 
I had kind of asked him, hey, you know, I write all these songs and I have all these demos that I've recorded and everything. Like, how the hell can I sell these songs? That was another thing I was thinking about. Like, well, you know, I have all this music that I keep writing that isn't even necessarily stuff that I want to be doing. So can I like sell this to people? Like, do you know how, whatever. And I showed him all those recordings and he convinced me that I should do my own EP right around then. I, I, I don't even remember what year that was. I think, I think I did that in like 2014, even though it didn't come out to like 2015 or something, just because I don't know, it just took forever to just put it out. But um, probably around then is when I really started like actually doing that whole recording thing as like work. That's when I started playing a lot more on other people's stuff and singing on people's stuff and just recording in general kind of was doing that whenever I was free from all the touring and then eventually you know the scales tipped and it became recording instead of touring so did that no, even answer your question or no, I just like no, go no, off no, on some tangent no that's actually a really good answer because like you said <laughs> you also went into the idea of hey I have all this material you know what am I going to do with it and then I think yeah. I mean I've met Danny as well um where you know like you said if it's you know being introduced to somebody to play guitar on their record or sing on it or be offered that guidance i mean i mean soundmind is a beautiful is a beautiful studio so to yeah, know that insane. you're to know that you're in you know you're working in studio b or whatever it may be with danny i mean that that studio is responsible for i mean correct me if i'm wrong spill canvas motionless and white michael graves of the misfits you know forever the sickest kids i mean that it, the stuff that Danny has worked on is, is pretty awesome. So, oh, yeah. And then, you know, you follow that still into today. And I mean, the dude just did the last Gojira album mm -hmm. with Andy Wallace. Like that's insane. Yeah. So it's definitely a good opportunity for you as well, because I mean, you're not only working with him and kind of picking up on little things to better yourself, but you know, has, in, in your time there or knowing him, has, has there been a lot of opportunity that he's brought you in on some of his projects to say, hey, I need somebody to play guitar? Does that happen often? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It's like, thank God for Dan. Um, between, yeah, opportunities for work, uh, opportunities to perform and sing on things and everything, like, yeah, no, he's, he's helped me so much, it's ridiculous. So let me ask you this, just because I, I mean, I was on Soundmind's website earlier and just kind of going through the resume and the, the references that exist on there. But I mean, I know that you've recorded everything from pop artists, punk bands, rock bands, even hip hop. Do you have a preference or a genre that, that you really enjoy? I mean, I know that you're a guitar player, but have you found a niche for something else? Because I know that you've, you can program drums and you can make beats. I mean, you program drums on half the songs I've ever done with you because yeah. I didn't have access to a drummer. So do you have other genres that, that you find to be a lot of fun or, or a challenge? I mean, is there, um, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the nice thing from working over at Soundmind is like, we do everything. So it's like, I, like you said, I get to work with a bunch of rock bands, which I like, but I've also recorded bluegrass and ska bands and blues and 
hip hop and, you know, people that want to just play piano or whatever it might be. And so I've just gotten kind of used to that. And honestly, I don't, I don't know that I prefer doing any one thing over the other because it's kind of nice to do everything because you get to do lots of stuff. And I'm such a friggin' nerd about it that like, you know, I, I don't want to say like, I don't care, but you know, I still get to do music and recording and screw with all the gear and everything, no matter what it is. So I don't know. I don't know that I have um, any particular preference over anything. I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to be recording something that you don't like or you think sucks or whatever, right. <laughs> um, cause that makes it a little more difficult. Luckily, I don't know that that's really happened. I'm sure there's been a time or two where, you know, I'm hoping that the session goes quick, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's always cool if you get to work on something that you're more excited about than if you're not, obviously. Right. Well, being 15 years into recording or, or more really, um, what do you think is the most challenging part? Do you think it's, I mean, right now that's a, that's kind of a, a loaded question because we're coming out of a pandemic, but yeah, you know, and, and of course with no touring and, and, you know, no, no financial income and stuff like that. I'm sure that right now it's, and we've had these conversations as well about, you know, things trickling in, but what do you think is the most challenging part of, of, of recording? Like for me or for bands? I think, I mean, maybe for both, you know, for you personally being in the position where, you know, right now you're responsible for booking the artist, showing up, you know, kind of assessing what their needs are. And then uh, de depending on those needs, kind of pumping out the finished product. So what do you think is, is or has been the biggest challenge for you to date? I guess it's kind of like, for, I mean, for the most part, it's just don't screw up. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing, like, especially you work with all different bands and budgets and everything. So I guess the kind of tough part is figuring out because at the end of the day, it's, it's all time equals money. Right. So I guess you, it, it's, it's tough to figure out, like, I guess really how much, like, I don't know, it sounds wrong, but it's like how much effort you're going to put in because of how much money is there, because it's like the musician and everything. And you like, you know, you want to put in the same effort and work into everything. And, I try to, but the reality is like, if someone has a budget for like a day of recording and not a ton for mixing and everything versus the person that has enough money to be there for 10 days and, and can cover all the mixing and revisions and everything that they want to do. It's just like, the reality is you have to kind of find a balance where, you know, you're, you got to do a good job, obviously, and you want to do your best because at the end of the day too, like your name is on it, I guess. Yeah. I, I think for me, like the hardest thing is finding the balance of like, when am I just like kind of losing money <laughs> right. with how much time and, and effort and stuff that, that I'm putting into stuff. Um, but it's a good point. I mean, good work isn't cheap and cheap work isn't good. And, and when it comes to, you know, the fact that I mean, some of the recording sessions that I've been a part of, I mean, we spent days just miking drums and getting sounds, you know what I mean? And I think that that's also something that an amateur or somebody new wouldn't expect. But at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, how much time are you willing to invest in this? Because there's a lot of things on the back end that I can do to really make this awesome, but that only goes so far. Yeah. 
and uh, I definitely understand that. Yeah, and you know what? I, I would kind of, I mean, again, I have zero clue who's going to hear this, but if you're a band, and I understand that like studio time and everything, it all costs money. It can seem very like daunting, but my my advice is two things. One, like you're in the studio, it's okay to mess up. Like if you're going to mess up anywhere, mess up in the studio, not the stage, and you can fix it. Um, so don't be like so freaked out to be in the studio because that actually ends up making people waste so much more time because they're nervous and they're screwing up and and whatever and there's all these weird mistakes and the second thing would be don't look at the studio as well it costs x amount of dollars an hour and we have this much money so like let's book this much time and like we'll just try to get as many songs done as possible it's way smarter to be like you know what we have this much time let's try to get these you know two songs done really well because I, I deal with a lot of younger and newer bands that like that's their mentality is like well we can only afford this and we have this many songs written which i hate to tell you guys all your songs probably aren't awesome so pick like your two strongest ones and spend as much time recording those two to like make those two the best <laughs> No, but that's actually a really good point because I mean, I've been in that position as well to say, Hey, we're booking this time. And I, when I was in nothing comes free and this is probably like 2004, 2005, I was a kid, of course. And, uh -huh. you know, we were doing a bunch of shows and all of this other stuff. And we, you know, we finally wrote all these songs and we were going to go record them. But as kids, it's one of those, like we dishwash on weekends. Like we don't have a lot of money, you know, we, yeah. it, is, it is what it is. And, you know, and we would go in and, and try to pound out these songs. And looking back now and listening to that, the EP that we did, the one that I'm thinking of and speaking of specifically, it's awful. It's rushed. <laughs> it's not good. But also, too, it's, it's like you said, that's going in and, and taking a weekend to rush six, seven, eight songs, you know, not taking the time to find guitar tones, not taking the time to mic drums the correct way. And I don't, yeah. I don't blame the guy who helped us. It's not his fault. But I mean... I probably wouldn't have wanted to help us either. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's, it's one of those things. And yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've done the same thing. You know, we, we went to a studio, we paid, you know, freaking $90 an hour. And it's like, well, we're going to get, the, I, I, whether we did like five or six songs or whatever. And somehow in our heads, every song was only going to take an hour. And I, I don't even know. I don't know where we came up with any of this math. And thank God the guy that we had went to was really good at what he was doing. Because like you said, like there was, you know, not a lot of time to get tones and this and that. But, um, but again, like being on, on the other side of that, it's not that that guy doesn't want to help you, but like that guy knows that you came in for X amount of hours and that you guys want to do X amount of songs. And it's just like, right. And you, you can know, only, I mean, in your defense, you can only do so much with the tools that you're given. Right. Um, so that, you know, that becomes the thing where it's like, well, guess what? We're not going to spend a whole day getting tones and stuff because like we got to get moving so like i'm going to do the best i can as fast as i can because we got to get eight songs done in a day or two days or or whatever you know right. and that's why it comes back to that whole like balance thing where it's just like am i gonna and you know i've done it dan's done it multiple times where it's just like you know it's supposed to be an eight hour day and here we are you know for 12 hours instead because we did take the extra time to try to help out and make something better or, or whatever it might be. 
So that's also something I wanted to bring up because I was at Rob's, this is, this is a couple of weeks ago and he was playing some of the new Bowling for Soup record for me. Um, and for anybody who's hopefully going to listen to this, Rob Filicetti is a good friend of AJ's and I, I played in a band with Rob for a long time, but now he plays bass and Bowling for Soup. But when I was listening to it, he was like, yeah, you know who, you know who uh, we recorded with, we recorded with AJ. And I thought that that was pretty cool because I mean, those dudes are from Texas, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they came up here and spent a lot of time with you in the studio and, and recorded. So um, how did that come about? I mean, we both know Rob, but how did, how did you, how did you land that? Or how did you end up kind of on their radar? They, they're recording some of their older stuff again. Okay. Um, and so basically it was easier for Rob to come record his vocal parts with me than to have to go to texas all the time right so um so basically technology man i tell you <laughs> yeah so basically um you know it was easier for rob to do this remote recording and you know again me being the nerd is like me messaging and really like, well do you want it like recorded this way or that way or like whatever and you know asking all these dumb questions and trying to make sure again like want to do a really good job even though we're just recording like pretty simple vocals. And um, so, you know, that was going well. We did that however many times. And I mean, oh my God, the amount of songs we did like that. I guess they were getting ready to record and everything. And they were trying to figure out where they wanted to do it, make it a whole thing. And I guess really Rob said like, oh dude, like we should do the recording here. Like you should do it. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like I'll 100% do that. Well, I won't say no. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he said that, I don't even know, probably like sometime in like the spring or something, you know, here and there we were talking to be like, oh, you know, like, hey, is like that happening? Yeah, yeah, I talked to them like they're cool with it. And I'm thinking like, that's eh, not happening. Like, they're gonna be like, yeah, let's go to friggin' Pennsylvania and record with this guy that we don't know. And then uh, lo and behold, it happened. And uh, so we tracked everything and like, 10 days um the way that their process is though you know helped speed that up because they already you know like you were going back to like you were talking like with that pre-production you know they already have so much of that stuff done that by the time they got to me like we were able to move pretty quick and yeah that stuff was awesome and they were freaking great and we got to hang out and that, that was the nice thing like it was that was for me like all right don't screw this up and then they showed up and you know everything started going well and then before you know it you're just kind of hanging out for 10 days and that's the thing i've met those dudes a couple times with rob and they i'm not saying it's to blow smoke like they are literally the nicest guys on the planet like yeah nothing phases them they joke around about everything so i'm sure that session was super fun oh dude it was just i, I mean god bless my girlfriend i think she wanted to kill me because I was coming back and like continuing all the stupid jokes that we thought were funny. And she would just kind of like, look at me, like, you want to stop now? Um, you know, pretty much every day would kind of go like, we, we'd start in the morning. Well, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes the morning. And uh, we would start, we'd get the drums done. And then I would uh, sit and edit those up, which by the way, Gary is, freaking awesome and a total monster on drums while we were doing that 
we would play like jerky boy just all this dumb stuff and then we'd eat lunch and then we'd get to guitars and bass and then uh it was just all of us just sitting in a room just being morons if anyone saw the process of making that they'd be like this isn't going to turn out well these guys are idiots no, that's fun though. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's the nice thing, right? I mean, if it's, you know, the less stress and everything else, I mean, like you said, you spent, you know, how many days just goofing off and then at the end you have a record. I mean, that's, that's, that's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, that's, that's why I enjoy the whole recording thing is like, I get to work on music and really, you know, be a moron while I'm also nerding out about gear right and at the end of it it's like someone's like well here's your money and i'm like oh okay like that's kind of weird like we just hung out and acted like schmucks and yet somehow i'm gonna like make money like okay that's kind of the most awesome thing i could do so i mean and that's a good point too so there's there's really two things i wanted to to talk to you about as well before i kind of let you go because i don't want to take up too much of your time what advice would would you give somebody who has an interest in recording or might want to pursue that as a career path. I mean, where would you tell them to start? Because that's, that's really what I'm kind of reaching for here is that they're all, there are alternatives to kind of being that stage performer, right? I mean, we all have that yeah. dream of, of picking up an instrument and, and playing and touring and all eyes on me. And, and, and that, of course, is the goal at first. But you and I both know, I mean, both of our stories are similar where it didn't exactly happen that way. I mean, for you, I mean, you've gone on to, to record with other bands and do way more touring than I have. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, the audio engineering and, and recording and working with bands is really your gig. So if you were going to kind of give any advice to anybody as to where to start or just any words of encouragement, what, what would you say? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess like, it, let's say if, you know, you're going to do this whole recording thing. I mean, it's so easy and I'm going to say fairly cheap to be able to, you know, get whatever software and almost you know these days almost any computer you could probably use to record with and like get an interface and a cheap microphone from so many of these companies that make pretty decent stuff pretty cheap that you know get it and start learning it on your own and you know record your friends and just record anything you can and eventually you know if you feel confident enough in that try to find a studio, see if they need help or an intern or whatever. And, you know, you're gonna have to work your way up. I mean, I spent plenty of days, you know, I mean, even like I I come home from touring and I would just, I would go to the studio and just, even if I wasn't doing anything, just hang out and just, you know, if Dan would let me watch or help at all, like, great. Um, And, you know, you spend 10, 12, 14 hour days doing that. It's just, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. It's it's not kind of unlike the trying to be in a band, like you're going to have to grind it out and you're going to have to, you know, just put in a lot of work for nothing to very little before you're going to really do anything, I guess, where you're going to be profitable and I guess I'll use the word successful. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of like being in a band or 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 like touring is like unless you're really serious about it and you enjoy it and like you're willing to put probably way too much effort into it 
you know, it's, it's not going to work because it's realistically at the end of the day, it's, it's something I love and like I'm passionate about. So, you know, most of the time people don't want to pay you to do things that you love to do. So like, you've got to, you know, and it's something that we've been talking about more recently. It's like, you know, like you're going to have to put in the work to make that a thing. Yeah. You got to start somewhere, whether you like it or not. It's like Drake said, man, started at the bottom. I mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, but, but also too, and, and kind of, you know, circling back to something you said earlier in the conversation, when you were handed that pro tools manual, because you were going to record a radio promo. I mean, yeah. you would have loved to record guitars and all this other stuff or record a band, but those are also alternatives recording radio, doing voiceovers. I mean, you met Jarrett, Jarrett's the voice of Chuck E. Cheese, you know what yeah, I mean? That so, was, that so was like, pretty amusing. Like those are <laughs> in real, the middle like of that real things, you know? love to get him in for an interview because i just want to pick his brain about everything else he's involved in outside of music you know what i mean and that's he's, but that's a prime he's example doing quite a bit of, of you know finding finding something within your within your niche of course and, and just kind of i don't want to say capitalizing on it but making it work you know but i don't know i i guess and i don't want to squash anyone's dreams or whatever but the reality is just like if you really love music and music is what you want to do then I guess the hard pill to swallow is to realize like the odds of you starting a band and making it and being successful for whatever amount of time where like literally all you're going to do is play and make albums is probably pretty damn slim these days. Exactly. So it's like, it's unfortunate, but you're right. Yeah. So it's like, in all honesty, like you better like recording or, band photography or making music videos or something surrounding this because the reality is that's probably how you're going to make a living and not from touring well and even for me man i mean it came one of those things where you know life happened and i ended up getting a job and i just used my job to fund the stuff that i wanted to do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it didn't really take off and i recorded some songs and stuff like that but it was still fun you know what i mean those are still songs that i show people or i listen to i mean i'm going to probably use them for this um, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you're, if, if you're going to have to work, I would probably, you know, stick out your neck a little bit more to try and do it in a, in a space that you enjoy without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I would even suggest, you know, kind of, I guess really for me, like being in bands and playing and stuff, that was almost kind of like my business card in a way, because people saw that and then, you know, that would get them interested in the idea that like oh like you record too or oh you'll play on stuff or you can sing on stuff or whatever so in a way it's like you know like for a while in that one band that i was touring with like that was my job that's how i made money but you know that after five years you know that kind of went downhill i I was lucky enough to do what i did with that band but you know so here we are and the, the lucky thing is and it kind of sounds messed up but you know, there's a lot of bands out there and they all think that they're going to make it. And they want to make it. And guess what? Someone needs to record them. <laughs> right. Well, it's also, I mean, like you said, the ability to network has taken you to a lot of places. I mean, you brought this up earlier. I remember you doing things like you said, photography, designing websites. You and I played a wedding together, you know, for yeah. first dance <laughs> song. I mean, they're like, but also too, I mean, that also took you into you know, where you're at now, which is kind of where I wanted to close this with don't panic. I mean, those are dudes that we've all known for a long time, but 
I mean, you've been doing Don't Panic on and off now for a couple of years. And even during the pan, the pandemic. Like a freaking I mean, decade, I think. Well, I mean, to be very honest, if a lot of the bands that I follow, and of course I know you, I know Ted, I know Anthony, I know Keith, I've known you guys for years, but I don't think I've seen a band put out more content than you guys have in the past year whether yeah we went pretty hard well you did but it's like it's not half-assed like it's it's great songs which I'm, I'm assuming that you recorded I mean the there's music videos I mean you guys are doing podcasts and, and trivia I haven't seen anybody else come up with some creative ideas like you guys have just for the sake of getting it out there um, and now you guys have a record coming out September 3rd so what has that process been like especially with you know, you, I know you recently just started playing shows again. You played with face to face. What was that like? Yeah. So, uh, a lot of that needs to be, if not all of it, like just credited to Ted. Ted is manning the ship. He puts a lot of all that together. Um, but yeah, it was, it was funny because we, I, I mean, realistically don't panic. has been a band for like a decade or something now. Um, but we had like what a seven seven year hiatus you know ted wanted to start everything back up and so he contacted me and was like hey you know i think i want to do this again and so let's record and and he, he honestly hit me back up um to record and it was like you know like and if you still want to do the band like by all means you're in and whatever so we, we started all that back up and um yeah we we started doing that and then the world shut down I was like, all right, this is great timing. You know, I, I, I think Ted was talking to Jarrett a lot. And yes, I don't know. All of a sudden it was like, well, we're gonna do this trivia thing so that like, you know, people will watch and we're gonna stream this acoustic thing and we're gonna do this. And it just kept snowballing. And I guess we, you know, we're seeing that the numbers were doing well, like right there at the beginning, because luckily you know everyone was stuck home they needed something to do and so it was like well you know we got to keep the momentum going because like well this album's coming out and like we're not going to be playing shows and we got super lucky and we got hooked up with um ionic development i believe that's the correct name um they're the ones that have been doing all these music videos and they are super awesome and i mean if you've seen the videos like they look insane oh they're hilarious too they're yeah they're they're pretty funny dude they feel so ridiculous to make sometimes like if if anyone ends up watching any of them like the fall of 99 um actually a lot of the videos uh i just said because we literally just shot one the other day i saw uh, i saw because brad who played drums and pulled a pin with me yeah he was in it right yep yep he got to play like the uh the nerdy guy that's out on the date um, but it was just funny because I was saying the other day, I was like, I think this is the first music video that I didn't have to dress up as a woman. That seems to keep being some theme for some reason. But um, it's a good theme, though, because it's pretty funny. Yeah. But again, like in the moment, like I don't know if you saw that Mr. Blue Sky video where we're sitting on the bed combing each other's hair. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the music videos all look cool and everything. But while we're doing a lot of this stuff, like, there's no sound. It's just us sitting quietly doing weird stuff. <laughs> um, it's definitely entertaining, though. And that's that's what I liked as well, because there wasn't um, 
there wasn't any downtime, you know what I mean? And for a lot of people and a lot of bands that were, and they're trying to figure it out. I mean, and you know, I'm eager to see how many bands even make it out of this or venues. I mean, that's a, that's another conversation, but to know that there wasn't any downtime for you guys. I mean, you have the record coming out, you have the music videos. I mean, you've really invested in the band itself. And, you know, now that you'll be able to tour again, I know you guys also have some shows um, with Bowling Pursuit coming up and you also have some shows with the queers, right? Yeah, so the beginning of September is like a week and a half run with the queers. And then towards the end of the month is um, a couple gigs with Bowling for Soup. And then in like November, we're going to do like a little trip down to uh, to Florida to go play Fest. So I looked into that because I saw that you guys were playing and it's been sold out for months because <laughs> I was actually, yeah. I was actually going to take the road trip down and see you guys. Um, but I mean, that's good to see though. I mean, I'm glad that shows are selling out. They should, especially if everybody's been sitting on their asses for the past year so. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're lucky that we get to go do these, these cool shows, but again, like, you know, just kind of tie it all together again. Like, you know, Ted has his day job and that's booking tours and shows and right you know, Keith has his thing and so does Anthony. And like, you know, none of us are just doing this band. Like everyone's got to make a living outside of the band. And, you know, luckily some of us are doing music stuff to make that happen. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's this band isn't pulling in all this friggin' money for us to like, just do the band. Right. Like I said, a lot of that is, you know, thank God for, Ted and you know when it comes to don't panic he's he's the one driving everything and making sure that it all gets done and you know I'm just I'm the the recording side of it all and making sure that you know we have our recordings and everything's mixed and whatever and Ted makes sure that you know the artwork is getting done and that the CDs are getting printed and talking to Ionic and going like hey you know we want to do this kind of music video and, and making sure that that all gets done and you know, I mean, like the other day I showed up at a drive-in movie theater. I literally didn't even know where I was going until the day before. And all this stuff is all done and planned out and costumes and all this stuff. And, you know, I just show up and act like a moron for 10 hours and go home. I want to talk to Ted and see if I can get him to do an interview. Because like you said, with him being a booking agent, I mean, he booked for the Ataris, he booked for the queer. And that's another thing. I mean, that's how I met Ted originally was he was booking shows at the Sherman theater, you know, in Stroud, yeah. Pennsylvania. And uh, he reached out to my band on MySpace and said, Hey, you know, would you guys want to play this show? These are the requirements. And the majority of the shows that I played after that in the area were booked by him. And then for a while, the other shows that he was booking, he was giving me jobs at. So, I mean, we were loading for trapped. We were doing, you know, you know, <laughs> loading for for hate breed and like in all these other bands and red because at the time he was booking some really big shows and he was promoting some pretty big shows and was also giving Rob and I work, which was kind of cool. Um, which yeah. also kind of segued into well, we're not doing anything, our band's not touring, so you know, we still have to pay bills. And he was a huge resource in that for us as well. So um yeah, I, I, I definitely think you're right. I mean, he does play a key role in a lot of that. And, and like you said, to know how well organized it is, is a huge, is, you know, a huge plus. Yeah. So when you load it in trap, do they have like a road case full of just like cargo jeans? 
I'm not going to talk about that, but yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the other day I was listening to a, a podcast from another band and they mentioned, they started talking about Trapped and all I could think about was you. Yeah. I've, I've told that story a couple of times because, and it wasn't like extensive work, right? And every time, like I, I still get people that like when, when Boys of Summer comes on, they like look at me and they, you know, they, they shoot me the look from across the room or like when Headstrong comes on, they, like, yeah. st- they start laughing and it's, it's funny, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I love being out. And uh, when, when I was in Madison Rising, uh, that stuff's on like jukeboxes and whatever. It absolutely it's Like is. I'll be out so i'll be out with friends and all of a sudden you know they decide guess what i'm gonna go put on and i'm just in there like you son of a bitch <laughs> like i don't want to hear this thanks but no thanks <laughs> yeah well hey man i wanted to uh i want to just thank you again for your time i appreciate the insight i know it, it took us a couple of days to get this going because of work and traffic and other bullshit but um i'm gonna you know take some of the resources from online i definitely want to post about the record coming out um, I think it'd be cool for people to get an idea of what sound mind looks like and, and get some ideas of some of the stuff that you've recorded as well. Yeah. Um, that new bowling for well, sound mind looks like soon. what you think a recording studio looks like the amount of gear that Dan has at that studio is insane. I saw a picture on Instagram and it was just all uh, Paul Reed Smith guitars. And I was wondering how many of them are yours. Cause I know you had an endorsement with him for a really long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think any of those are mine in any of those pictures. We just have a lot of them over there. Hey man, but still pretty cool. So yeah, I'll definitely put those resources up so people can check them out. And cool. Um, yeah, man. So let's keep in touch. Let's actually hang out soon because you. It's funny that we're doing this over the phone, but you live like five miles from me, which is yeah. even which is even funnier. I was actually going to suggest when we did this, like I, I didn't know if you wanted to like record it or. If you want to, like, because again, the nerd in me is like, well, he's probably gonna like Zoom with other people. So it's just sound really weird if like one sounds recorded and others are through Zoom. And Rob said the same thing. I we went out the other day and uh, I asked him if I could do an interview with him. He's like, yeah, but can you come to my house? He's like, I'm not doing a Zoom call. I said, That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about that and I was just like, but I, I figured you're probably gonna be Zooming a lot of people, so I didn't, I didn't want like one thing to sound all one way and then like the, all the other calls to sound another. Well, I'll probably be calling you for tips and tricks because uh, I haven't really worked in um, in GarageBand or some of these recording softwares in a number of years. So you'll be on my you'll, my speed dial list when I uh, can't figure something out. I figured that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Word up, man. I appreciate your time. Let's keep in touch. And uh, I'll probably call you on my cell phone after this to see what you're doing. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks again. All right, man. Later. Jay, thanks again for taking some time out of your schedule to talk to me about your musical career and how you got started audio engineering. You'll have to excuse some of my amateur editing. This is a work in progress for me, but I think by episode three, I'll have it down. I also just got off with Ted, who is the frontman for Don't Panic. He actually sent me the new record, and it sounds awesome. Uh, He also gave me permission to post one of the new songs from the September 3rd release. So here it is from Don't Panic, Woe (laughs) I. 
AJ on Instagram at AJ Larson Music and also check out Don't Panic. Don't Panic, Just Rock. Thanks again.